Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for 5-31-2009. We're going to continue with part four of our teaching here on the Hebrew Roots Movement, the subject of Judaism. This next section is entitled, Some of Judaism's Teachings That Will Horrify You. Uh, now, the Talmud, remember, the Talmud is the preeminent text of Judaism. They've flat out stated that. It's not a point of debate with Orthodox Judaism. The Talmud specifically defines all who are not Jews as non-human animals. Where does it say that? Well, they also say hitting a Jew is the same as hitting God. It's in uh, Sanhedrin 58b. And if a Gentile hits a Jew... The Gentile must be killed. That's that's pretty unbelievable. Sanhedrin 58b of the Talmud. Uh, this also says it is okay to cheat non-Jews. Sanhedrin 57a says a Jew need not pay a Gentile the wages owed him for work. Now, Can you see how this is so against even what the Old Testament would say? The Old Testament never said that the Jews were were some kind of special, you know, they were God's chosen people. I'm not saying that, but I mean, to go so far as to to make all these special things that apply to you and maybe don't, don't apply to another race or things that would apply to another race, but they don't apply to you, always in a preferential way toward your race... Let's go further. Jews have superior legal status. According to Baba Kama 37b of the Talmud, if an ox of an Israelite gores an ox of a Canaanite, there is no liability. But if an ox of a Canaanite gores an ox of an Israelite, the payment is to be full. (laughs) Talk about a double standard. Now, God, over and over and over, in the Word of God, particularly in the book of Proverbs, talks about how God hates unjust scales and balances. Now, this is all that this is, we can think of that as money. Okay? But what we're talking about here are unjust scales and balances. I mean, if a Gentile hits a Jew, the Gentile must be killed? But if a Jew hits a Gentile, it's okay? A Jew need not pay a Gentile the wages owed him for work? It's just unbelievable. The next thing, Jews may steal from non-Jews. Baba Mizia 24a says, If a Jew finds an object lost by a Gentile, it does not have to be returned. (laughs) This is almost comical. This is also affirmed in Baba Kama 113b. What? Okay, so let's go further. Sanhedrin 76a says, God will not spare a Jew who returns a lost article to a Gentile. So now there's God's judgment. If you find something and steal it, if, 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 you don't, if it doesn't remain stolen, God will not spare the Jew who does this. This is insanity. What's the next thing? Jews may rob and kill non-Jews. 
Sanhedrin 57a, when a Jew murders a Gentile, there will be no death penalty. What a Jew steals from a Gentile, he may keep. So he can kill him? He can punch him? Whatever he steals from you, he can keep? It's not the other way around. It's the exact opposite, though, if it, if it happens to the Jew. So, I mean, it sounds fair to me. It's a pretty good deal for the Jew. Actually, it's not a good deal because this type of... of uh, this is just beyond pride. Arrogance. So when a Jew murders a Gentile, there will be no death penalty. Uh, next statement. Baba Kama 37b says the Gentiles are outside the protection of the law and God and has exposed their money to Israel. So in other words, it's okay for Jews to steal the Gentiles' money. Because why? Because they're outside the protection of God and the law. I'm not making this up. Leader Rabbi Israel Ariel stated, quote, A Jew who killed a non-Jew is exempt from human judgment and has not violated the religious prohibition of murder. Talk about the traditions of men making the word of God of none effect. Man, I mean, this is it's about as bad as it gets. You can see why they would view the non the, the Gentiles as lower than animals, or as an animal. I mean, just look at their writings. It's, it, it affirms that. Um, next part. Jews may lie to non-Jews. Baba Kama 113a says Jews may use lies or subterfuges to circumvent a Gentile. You can lie to them, sure. Next part. Non-Jewish children are subhuman. Yerbamot 8a says a Gentile, all Gentile children are animals. So all Gentile children are animals. That includes you, Taylor. I hate to say it. Well, I'm just a big animal. Yeah, evidently to them. <laughs> this is just unbelievable. Next part. Abuda Zara 36b. Gentile girls are in a state of nidda, which means filth from birth. Yeah. Do you want to use that term Judeo-Christianity now? This is where this is this is Judaism. This is supreme. This is their Torah. It said that. This is their Torah. It just sickens me to see all these Christians retreating back into this garbage. It's going so far as to start their own synagogues and start calling themselves rabbis. Oh, I, I've been around this. I've had a boatload of it coming out of the charismatic movement. This is, this is totally infiltrated into the charismatic movement. And they keep all their Seder suppers and all their Jewish feast things and they feel so religious and this and that. You know what they're doing? All they're really doing ultimately in the end is leading people to hell. Death and hell. It's all they're doing. It's an abomination before God. I tried, I've tried to tell them, they don't, they will, you, these types of people are some of the hardest in the world to release. They have religious spirits that are essentially just about totally controlling them, if not possessing them. 
these are there are spirits of religion of, of religious spirits that influence these people to act this way and, and to get into this bondage. And this is a bondage. This is a super huge bondage. You gotta do this and you gotta do that. Of whom a man has overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. That's what the Bible says. Let's go further. Insults against Mary. Sanhedrin 106 says, Jesus, Jesus' mother was a whore. She, who was the descendant of princes and governors, played the harlot with carpenters. So that's what they said about Mary. Getting mad? You should be. The Bible says, you know, be angry and sin not. Righteous indignation is an attribute of God. I guarantee it makes the Lord even madder than us. Also, in a footnote, footnote number two to Shabbat 104b of the Sonoso edition, it is stated that the uncensored text of the Talmud, it is written that Jesus' mother, who is also known as Miriam, they called her, and her name's Mary, but they called her Miriam in the Talmud. Miriam, the hairdresser, had sex with many men. See, that what they've got to do is denigrate everything that has anything to do with Jesus Christ, and you're going to see they do that, in order to justify their own corrupt devil religion. Because if they can, if they can um, discredit Jesus, then they can feel like they can go and do what they want without impunity. It is the standard disinformation practice of apologists for the for of apologists for the Talmud to deny that it contains any um, bad references to Jesus Christ. According to this charade, to assert the truth that the Talmud contains disgusting and pornographic blasphemies against Jesus is quote hateful and anti-Semitic, while major Jewish organizations charged with the mission of deceiving Christians and the Gentiles through their mouthpiece media, such as the ADL and the Simon Wiesenthal Centers, they continue to stonewall and maintain the covert charade by denying that there is anything in the Talmud which libels the Christian Savior. What a lie for the pit of hell that is. We're going to look at that. The position of certain Jewish scholars over the years has undergone a change and more have leaned toward revealing the actual contents of the Talmud on the subject. <clears throat> so in other words, the gloves are starting to come off more and more. Not only that, you could go and actually look at a Babylonian Talmud and read it for yourself. By 1999, <coughs> excuse me, certain Orthodox Jewish organizations were even more forthcoming, openly admitting that the Talmud describes Jesus as a sorcerer and a demented sex freak. That's what the Talmud says Jesus Christ is. Now, what other religion would go so far as to say such blasphemous things about Jesus Christ? I don't think there's any other religion that would, that would I mean, maybe some really heavy-duty, high-level satanic sex cult type things, like the OTO or the First Church of Satan. Yeah, they're probably about right on par with this. But that's not a really good um, group that you want to include yourself in as a religion. So these Jewish organizations make this admission perhaps out of the concept that Jewish supremacy is so well entrenched 
in the modern world that they need not concern themselves with adverse reactions. We're so much better, we can start saying what we want to say. But again, this is a front page news, obviously. On the website of the Orthodox Jewish Shabbat Lubavitch group, one of the largest and most powerful Jewish organizations in the world, we find the following statements. Now, this is right off their website. Okay? Orthodox Jewish group. We find the following statements accompanied by citations from the Talmud. Here's from their website. We read, The Talmud, the Babylonian edition, records other sins of Jesus the Nazarene. Now, isn't it ironic? Babylon? It's the Babylonian edition of the Talmud. How much worse could you get? You know? Babylon is always associated with evil in the Bible. And the Talmud is, is the essence of, the, the, the initial essence of that evil in the Jude, Judaic, Judaism, modern day religion. So this is off their website. The Talmud, the Babylonian edition, records other sins of Jesus the Nazarene. So he, he, in other words, he wasn't sinless. There was many other sins that he committed. That's what they're saying. And it says, number one, he and his disciples practiced sorcery and black magic and led Jews astray into idolatry and were sponsored by the foreign Gentile powers for the purpose of subverting Jewish worship. That's what they say. You want to yoke up with them? Is this what you want to yoke up with? Where does it say that? Sanhedrin 43a. Number two. This is what they say. He was sexually immoral, meaning Jesus. He worshipped statues of stone and was cut off from the Jewish people for his wickedness and refused to repent. I tell you, I, may the Lord Jesus Christ rain down his fury on their lying tongues. I pray God does judge this wickedness. I don't even like reading this garbage. But it's also important to understand, because if you're, if you're teetering on, well, I, I'm really feeling pulled back to this. Well, this is what you're getting pulled into. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, the foundation of, of Judaism is the Talmud. They've admitted that. And that's what we're quoting from. It is their Torah. That was Sanhedrin 107b, the last uh, thing that I just read. Uh, Shabbos 104b says that Jesus, he learned witchcraft in Egypt. Now, I was, for, for a brief time, um, I used some of those essential oils from Young Living. And Gary Young is at the, the um, top of that company. He started it. Gary Young, I found out, is actually a descendant of Brigham Young. I think they probably have the best essential oils on the planet, but they're also totally overpriced, and it's a multi-level marketing, and it's garbage from that standpoint. But the oils are very good quality, but I, I don't buy them anymore. Well, Gary Young is a very confused individual, and he's part Mormon, part New Age, he would call himself a Christian, and I remember him in one of his blasphemous tapes getting into the fact that he went over to Egypt and he had got with the real people that knew the real lowdown on Jesus and learned that in his earlier days, which where the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the childhood of Jesus, that that's where when he was in Egypt 
that that's where he learned all this witchcraft and sorcery. And so now I see where that stems from and where that all started from, and it's from the Babylonian Talmud. It's probably what he was shown. One of the secret Gnostic books, all these Gnostic Gospels that they're supposedly finding, you know, like the Epistle of Judas. Supposedly they dig it up out in the desert one day, and it has this new revelation that's always contradictory to the Word of God. Well, you know, it's all lies from the pit of hell. It's all an attempt by the world powers and the world governments and the world religions to discredit Jesus Christ and to, and to get you to doubt your faith in the Word of God, the King James Bible. That's what it's all about. And they're doing a really good job. So yeah, it said, Jesus learned witchcraft in Egypt, Shabbos 104b. And then Gittin 57a says, uh, Jesus is in hell being boiled in hot excrement. Feces. That's what the, that's what this, that's what the Talmud says. How could you have anything to do with modern day Judaism? That's what it says about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as a born again Christian. How do you like that? I mean, I, I, I am, I, I want to rip this book in half, just, just reading it. Sanhedrin 43a says, Jesus was executed because he practiced sorcery. It is taught that on the eve of the Passover, Jesus was hung. He was hung, he wasn't crucified. And for 40, and 40 days before this, the proclamation was made, Jesus was to be stoned to death because he had practiced sorcery. And lured the people to idolatry. He was an enticer of such. Thou shalt not pity or condone him. So, I mean, you know, again, this is, this is what we're dealing with here today. All from their writings. I'm not making this stuff up. If you don't believe it, go get yourself a Babylonian Talmud. Of course, it's a gigantic, I don't know how many books there are. 15 or 20 or 25. So, how could a God, a holy God, be pleased with the above comments about his son and the gracious, devoted mother? Oh, you know what they said about Mary? I'm not even going to read that. I'll paraphrase it for you. There's another quote from there where they, where they said that Jesus was a, uh, a bastard, meaning that he was actually on... They believe that on... Mary's wedding night that she was in her her cycle as a female. And I'm not going to read this to you because it would take me another 10 minutes to get through. And I, it's, it's so blasphemous, I don't even want to read it. And even saying this is blasphemous, I'm just relaying to you the information so you can get the full scope of it. What they believe is that, that, that on Mary's wedding night, they believe her to be a whore, and they believe on her wedding night she was having her cycle, her menstrual cycle. And as a result, she didn't have... Um, consummate the marriage with Joseph. But she did have sex with his best man that night. And she conceived a baby in her menstrual cycle, which there's a specific term um, in that, and I think it's the, the that Nita term. Um, when it, it's a specific 
thing for a, um, yeah. It says, when I entered the bridal chamber, I was Nida. This is supposedly Mary's confession, meaning I was menstruating. And my husband kept away from me, but my best man had intercourse, but the, the best man had intercourse with me, and this was born unto me. Consequently, the child was born both what they call a bastard and the son of a nida, meaning a son born from a having sex during a menstrual cycle. They've got to try to degrade Jesus Christ as much as they... Po- it's like, how hot do they want to burn in hell? How hot do they want to rot in the lake of fire? It's like they are asking for God to just totally destroy me and make me rot and burn in hell. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's what they say about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean I hate them. I hate that religion. I hate that blasphemous religion. And I pray to God their, their, their eyes be open. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But that, that is about as bad as it ever is going to get regarding blasphemy against Jesus Christ. And that's what they believe. Now, you could say, well, somebody entry-level Judaism might not believe that, or somebody Hebrew Roots doesn't. Sure. It doesn't matter, because you're yoked up with the same system. And if you let a rabbi come, one of these rabbis that believe this, start instructing you, if the head is sick, the whole body is going to be sick. And if the blind lead at the blind, they're both going to fall into a ditch. The Bible says... And of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. And if angel and if Satan can appear as an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness. They're always going to come to you looking like a minister of righteousness, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. That's what we're dealing with today. I, I'm glad I'm through that part because I, I don't even that that's just I don't even like saying it. But I also think it's important that we understand the devices of Satan, unless we be ignorant of them, and to expose and to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. We're shedding light on the unfruitful works of darkness, and we have no fellowship with them. I have no fellowship with this. So again, how could a God, a holy God, be pleased with the above commandments about His Son and the gracious and devoted mother of Jesus Mary? Was Jesus Christ pleased with the apostasy of the Jews in his ministry on earth? No, God is not pleased with the beliefs and practices of Judaism in the 21st century either. Um, Hoffman also brings more shocking truth to us in Judaism's Strange Gods, page 27-30. through 30. We're quoting from that. Rabbi Nauser further notes that the rabbinic literature took shape during the nascent and formative ages of Christianity. So, in other words, the rabbinic literature this, with the Talmud, the Midrash, and the Mishnah and all that, that actually took shape during the formative ages of Christianity. He calls Christianity a challenge that had to be met. For Christianity appealed to the same authoritative writings, the Hebrew scriptures of the ancient Israel, that this Judaism formulated in its way. Now, let me read that again, because it's a little bit confusing the way he wrote that. Christianity actually appealed to the same authoritative writings, which were the Hebrew scriptures of the ancient Israel. Didn't mean we were under the law, but 
we could see that was the first covenant and it was confirmed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second covenant. He, he became that better covenant. He presented that to us through his son. Okay. Judaism formulated, though, that these same scriptures, these same Hebrew scriptures were in its way. And that had to be dealt with. The Old Testament was in the way of modern day Judaism, of this Judaism. It, I mean, if you, if you look at these blasphemous statements, you can obviously see there's all kind of contradictions to the Old Testament. And if it's contradicting, that means it's in its way. Notice the delineation Nauser makes between the ancient Hebrew scriptures and the rabbinic literature. Ancient Hebrew scriptures would be the Old Testament. The rabbinic literature would be the old tradition that was then first put into the Mishnah and the Talmud and then so on. They are quite patently not the same. The former is the ancient root of Christianity, meaning the Old Testament. The later, formulated after Christ's incarnation and crucifixion, is the modern root of Judaism. So again, it's important to understand the difference. Because if you think of Judaism as just Old Testament following the Old Testament, you're way off. Hopefully we've convinced you of that at this point. A closer look at the rabbinic literature. Let us take a look at the closer look at formative rabbinic literature because it is formative because it is not the Old Testament. It is a found, it, but it is the foundation stone of Judaism. The tradition of the elders condemned by Christ in Mark 7 and Matthew 15 was a oral gnosis, meaning hidden knowledge, gnosis means that, was an oral gnosis that preserved the thinking behind the idolatry and the apostasy of the Israelites who had worshipped the golden calf and fed their children to Molech. That was the essence of this, this depravity that I'm reading. Now, again, if we look at Romans 1.16, and I'm going to read that again, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, Remember, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Neither were they thankful. doesn't sound like the Pharisees and Sadducees were too thankful to Jesus, does it? They crucified him. and Okay. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Obviously, we can see their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at their writings. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Pretty much. And change the glory of, un- of an uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between their self. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed and forever. Amen. Remember, it just said here that this oral gnosis this tradition of the elders that preserved the thinking behind the idolatry and the apostasy of the Israelites who had worshipped the golden calf and fed their children to Moloch. It says right here, they changed the glory of an uncorruptible God an image made like the corruptible man. They were idolaters. Going further, it says it was the undercurrent of corruption ever threatening to boil upward and become institutionalized into a format in competing religion by being committed to writing, which it finally was. The boiling point of corruption was reached after the Pharisees, Pharisaic Jewish leadership, rejected the Messiah. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's how I look at this. Okay, I understand this portion of Scripture is also 
in um, conjunction to sodomites, gay men, and, and lesbians. Okay, but there's an application here that's undeniable, absolutely undeniable. Having rejected the biblical Messiah, they were guilty of having perpetuated an enormous, indeed a cosmic crime against God's law, his prophecies and his prophets. Why would it say his prophecies and his prophets? Because they all pointed to Jesus Christ. The day he died alone, he fulfilled over 30 Old Testament prophecies. Perfectly. Now the odds of, of like 50 of them happening, and he did like, a th- he fulfilled over like 300. I think the odds are like 50. There's not enough atoms in the universe. Atoms. I've got the whole uh, study on that. It's it's um, it's called the law of probability. If you want that, just email me and ask for the law of probability uh, document that I've got, and I'll send it to you. And it, it's it basically it, it affirms that you know that just how incredible all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And, and, and um, the odds of that happening. And, and there's not enough atoms in the universe, the odds are. So, as a result of the corrupting effects of, the, of this transgression, they began to commit their oral traditions to the writing beginning with the Mishnah. Hey, they had made their choice. The Pharisees, they had made their choice. Now God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now all the gloves were off. They didn't have to pretend anymore. And this is where modern-day Judaism started. Rabbi Nauser admits that, and I shouldn't even say modern-day, because, it, again, it wasn't even known as Judaism in the Old Testament. Okay, this is just a religion they started. Judaism is the religion that started during this time. Rabbi Nauser admits that the Mishnah certainly is the first document of rabbinic Judaism. Again, we have another confirmation there. It is the first document of rabbinic Judaism. Formerly, it stands at the center of the system since the principal subsequent rabbinic documents, the Talmuds, lay themselves out as if they were exegeses of the Mishnah. And again, this is all reference that I'm reading. Not the book of Genesis, not the Pentateuch, but the Mishnah is the first document of Judaism. Standing at the center of the system, how can it be said that Judaism represents the teachings of Moses when the Bible is not the center of the system? Is that what Moses taught? It may come as a shock to learn that the rabbis are, the con- are conscious of their, more, of their monumental fraud and that they privately admit among themselves that their system has no basis in Moses. In a cryptic passage from a book in the Jewish Kabbalah, which is the highest form of Jewish witchcraft. Okay, it's a very, very high level mysticism, witchcraft, and sorcery. Isn't it ironic? They're accusing Jesus Christ of being a sorcerer, and that's the very thing that they are at the highest levels with the Kabbalah. In the in the Jewish Kabbalah, in Tikkunei Zohar 127b, it is referenced to the Mishnah actually being the burial place of Moses. The Mishnah, which is what the the Talmud came out of, is the burial place of Moses. What does that mean? It's the burial place of the law. It's the burial place, really, of the Old Testament. Moses wrote the first five books. How has our understanding of Judaism been so fundamentally distorted? 
How has so great a fraud been perpetuated as the claim that Judaism is based on the Bible, when Judaism actually began with the Talmud of Babylon? Part of the answer may be found in the fact that Judaism began to infiltrate the Roman Catholic Church in earnest and contributed as well to the rise of certain major denominations of Protestantism thanks to a myth which gained credence during the Renaissance. The nature of this deliberately planted disinformation was that the religion of Judaism was the biblical religion par excellence that for a Christian intellectual or a seeker spiritual seeker, to truly know the Old Testament, it was necessary to, in some degree, consult a rabbi. So, it started to infiltrate into the Catholic Church, and then it began and then into Protestantism, and then there was this planted information that in order for you to really, really, really know the Old Testament, because it was written in Hebrew, the only way to really know that is to get a rabbi. He'll set you straight, of whom a man has overcome, the same he has brought into bondage. The prophecies of God are of no private interpretation. So when you go to somebody who is unsaved and undone and in Jesus Christ hating to help you figure out the Bible, don't think the same spirits that emanate and operate through him aren't going to affect your discernment. There's a lot of people today that, that believe this exact thing. These, these Hebrew Roots Movement people, the ones that have their own synagogues and stuff, they have a real rabbi come in. Oh, man, they'll fall at his feet probably just about. Oh, he's a real Jew. He knows the, the real, what the Bible really says. Don't fall for it. Here's a, here's a footnote to that, a, a reference footnote. The, um, this is from um, the occult infiltration of the church was well underway by the 15th century. Now this is really important. The occult. What does occult mean? Hidden knowledge. Gnosis. Gnostic. The occult infiltration of the church was well underway by the 15th century when the hermetic neoplatonic school of so-called Christian Kabbalists Christian Kabbalists that, that's a again an oxymoron led by Pico della Mirandola circulated a Kabbalistic thesis in Rome whose central theme was that no science could better convince us of the divinity of Christ than magic and the Kabbalah. So this was trying to like say Christ, there, there's no science that can better convince us of the divinity of Christ than magic and the Kabbalah. So in other words, there's no science that can better convince us of the divinity of Christ than witchcraft, is what they're saying. Rabbi Ben Zion Boxer claims that Pope Sixtus IV was so delighted with this work of, of um, this Pico della Mirandola, he was so delighted, this Pope, with the work, with his work, that he urged him to translate the, Kabbal the Kabbalah text into Latin for use of the divinity students in the Catholic schools. Wow, that's not something you hear about too often. Pico was followed in 1517 by Johannes Ruklin, whose work, De Arte Kabbalistica, put Gemantria, which is a Jewish numerical system, to use in Bible studies. Now, again, you've got to be real careful with this Gemantria stuff. 
It's where we start to use, where we equate, I think there's a certain validity to certain parts of gematria as far as the biblical meaning of numbers. But you got to be real careful because a lot of people get way off base on this and they start viewing that as an alternate way to interpret the Bible. And again, gematria, you have to understand, the occultists love gematria. So it's something you got to be real careful of. I don't even reference it very much um, at, at all. And you don't, you know, it's not like I've ever done a teaching on it. But this, the first guy that actually um, did this was the one I just mentioned. And he put gematria, which was a Jewish numerical system, to use in Bible studies. You got to be real careful. Because you've got to look at who's doing this. By the Franciscan monk Francisco Georgies in the 1525 tribute to Zohar. All of these accumulate in the 1564 occult masterwork Monus Hieroglyphica by the reigning figure of Protestant occultism, the mathematician John Dee, who was the original 007. You've probably heard that about this guy. He was the original 007. He really was. Like 007 on James Bond, he was the original one. Uh, Dr. John Dee, who was the astrologer to the Royal Queen Elizabeth I and the founder of modern-day Freemasonry. Uh, That's their interpretation on it. But, again, interesting stuff here. In modern times, the hysteria whipped up around the concepts of anti-Semitism and the Holocaust, caused frightened and guilt-laden Gentiles and Christians to halt almost any critical inquiry into the thesis that Judaism is synonymous with the Old Testament. That's very important, what I just said, what was just said here. The modern-day hysteria of anti-Semitism caused by the Holocaust of World War II caused frightened and guilt-laden Gentiles and Christians to almost halt any inquiry into even looking at this subject. Because you don't want to be labeled as an anti-Semitist or the Jews have suffered enough, you know, from the Holocaust. And I'm not denying they did suffer. Okay, but a lot of other races suffered as well, too. To view the theses with with skepticism became another thought crime, another exercise in heinous anti-Semitism that would, of course, inevitably lead to another, quote, Holocaust. So we just leave the subject alone. By this impressively effective intimidation device, the hoax that Judaism was the biblical religion was validated and given near-universal acceptance. Hey, I fell for it. I fell for that. I thought that it pretty much was at one time. But the sacred rabbits do not make for good scholars or good Christians, as William Scott Green of the University of Rochester, a contributor to Rabbi Nauser's Rabbinic Judaism book, he makes this plain, and we're going to read what he says. He gives the origin of Judaism as around 70 AD, although he substitutes the word for Judaism with the word rabbiism. Quote, it helps to remember that rabbiism's initial, and this is a quote from him, initial catalyst was neither so the initial thing that started it, what is a catalyst? A catalyst is, is something you typically used in chemistry that accelerates a chemical reaction. That's what a catalyst technically defined is. Okay? So, it speeds something up. It helps to remember, and this is a quote from him, that rabbiisms, or Judaism's, initial catalyst, which was what sped it up, was neither 
the canonization of the Hebrew Bible, nor readerly research of the scriptures, but the demise of the second temple. That's what he said was the catalyst for this Judaism religion. Judaism is the product of a small, ambitious, and homogeneous group of pseudo-priests. The Talmud, beginning with the Midrash, Mishnah, I'm sorry, beginning with the Mishnah, is the chief scripture of the religion of Judaism. Now again, I've confirmed this over and over again, that the Talmud is the chief, um, the chief scripture of the religion of Judaism. The great Pharisaic sages of the blessed memory decree this themselves in the Talmud. The revered Gentile-hating rabbi, Shimon ben Yohai, one of the most honored of all Jewish sages, whose supposed burial site in Israel state is the scene of a huge annual mass pilgrimage, he said, he who occupies himself with scripture, meaning the Bible, gains merit that is no merit. In other words, don't read the Bible. It's, it's of no merit. I'm sure the devil wasn't behind him, you know, motivating him to make that statement. So, can Christianity take take the emphasis away from Christ Jesus and the revelation of Him in the New Testament and retreat back into the Old Testament? Obviously, we've already answered that, but most Christians who embrace the Hebrew root-style ministries and doctrines or go into any sort of pseudo-Judeo-Christian ministry do so believing no doubt that they can do this because Christianity came from the greater Old Testament teachings. Even if this were real were the real emphasis of Judaizers of our day, it would still be unbiblical and foolish to do this. As far as we have gone in our investigation, the reader will, will see that this is eons away from the truth of the present-day departure into Judaism. No, we can never take away the emphasis of Christ Jesus and the New Covenant in His blood and retreat back into the Old Testament law. I mean, look how well it's worked for these modern-day uh, modern Judaism. I mean, everything about it is against the Word of God. The Bible repeatedly forbids us to do this. Romans 6, 14b says, And the fullness, and of His fullness, have all we received in grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, that was John 1, 17. Romans 6, uh, 14b says, For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead, this is all the material I have for today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stop there and we'll pick up the study at the uh, next time, Lord willing. And I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us to once again come together. Lord, I pray, God, that we are worshiping you in spirit and in truth. We are exposing the unfruitful works of darkness and having no fellowship with them. And I pray to God that you would give us hearts to receive and open our eyes and ears, that we would be able to see truth and, and that you would give us discernment, Lord, in these dark days that we are in and the dark days that are to come. Pray for your protective hand to be upon my listeners, upon the body of Christ, the widows, the orphans, the weak, the meek, Taylor, myself, Nonetta. I pray, God, that you would save our unsaved family members, Lord God, according to thy will, that your fear would be upon them, that that fear would drive them to repentance, that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, that you would wipe our slate clean as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I pray, God, 
that you would forgive us. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.